So yeah, kids, I'm going to share a bit of a story, only for a few minutes, so you can listen to that. Um, can you give me the next slide there, Tim? So you've got some colouring in to do if you want. You've got this sweet picture of Paul meeting Jesus. Um, if you look closely, if you know the story that well, you might notice from this picture that it doesn't like, have the intensity that you'd expect from the story. To me, it kind of looks like Paul was sitting at the base of the reserve, watching a bit of cricket with his hand over the sun, <laughs> drinking a beer with his, with his friend the horse. But um, it doesn't quite look like he's just met the creator of the universe and knocked off his horse. But that's right. Kids, if you want to make it more intense when you colour it in, maybe put some like, sharks or lasers or something and make it more intense for us. So I'm just going to share for a few minutes and then I'm going to hand over to a good friend of mine, Lee. Um, and he's going to share some of his story. Before we do that, all throughout Christian history, there's been a battle going on. There's been a battle raging, and it's this. How do we connect with God? Do we connect with God through religious ritual, ritual, through going through the motions, through putting up masks, through trying to be as good as we can to atone for bad things we've done? Is that how we make our way up to God? Or is it by His, His gift? Is it by Jesus on the cross? Do we live in grace and unconditional love? And these are like the battle lines that have been drawn up. And Paul, the man of our story, he really defined this battle. And he, he spoke about it. He, um, he waged war for the side of, we relate to God by free grace, by what he has done for us, nothing that we could do to earn our way to know love and Father and God. And all throughout history, people have lost their reputations through this battle. They've been torn away from their families. They've even lost their lives because they've said, I'm going to believe that, that it's through Jesus on the cross and his free grace for me. So we're going to talk about Paul, because really he, he sort of encapsulates this battle. So kids, let me ask you a question. Is it good to listen to your parents? <laughs> yeah, Levi, Asher, is it good to listen to your parents? <laughs> but let me ask you another question. If you don't listen to your parents, does their love for you change? No. Good. <laughs> I hope, hope my kids say No. <laughs> So you're always the children of your parents, and they love you no matter what you do. And it's the same with God. Yeah, it's important that we listen to God, but He loves us the same. It's based on Him calling us and choosing us to be His kids. And Paul didn't understand this. He just couldn't understand that that's how you relate to God. In fact, he wanted to persecute and put in jail, and he hated people who thought you could relate to God based on Jesus and His work for us on the cross. He thought it was all about how hard you prayed, the mask you put out, whether you're the best of the best, whether you look the most religious and the most pious and the most holy to your friends. He thought those are the ways that you relate to God. And just like happens to anyone who believes lies like that, it produces ugly stuff in your heart. It produces pride and it produces hatred towards people who are really free to relate to God based on His love. And so this is where we catch up with Paul and the story of him falling off his horse. Because he got on his horse and he was riding off to go to another town to seek out people who believed in grace and who believed in Jesus. To throw them in prison and to rip them away from their families and to put an end to this talk about Jesus and the cross. So as he's going along the road, suddenly this bright light shines all around him. Have you ever fallen off a horse? Anyone? Biggest fallen off a horse. Did it hurt? Did you learn anything from it? Don't ride a horse. <laughs> Kids don't have to believe that. Horses 
So Paul learned something even better from falling off his horse. He learned something about Jesus because Jesus spoke to him. So in, um, in Jack's story, it was a donkey that spoke, which is pretty cool. But even Paul, the creator of the universe, shows up and says to you, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul. Yeah, two names, kind of like Matt or Maddie. Two names. Why are you persecuting me? He said. And they had a conversation, Paul and Jesus, all about how, Paul, you got it wrong. You're persecuting the very people who actually know me and who understand that they can't earn their way to me. They can't um, do enough good things to know God. They've got to receive it by faith and just understand that God loves you and it's His grace and, and, and receive that in their lives. Jesus goes on to tell them, you know, through um, this conversation with others, that, hey, you're going to go throughout the whole world. You're going to become one of those people and you go throughout the whole world talking about how much God's unconditional love can change your life. And you don't have to put masks on anymore. And you don't have to go through religious rituals to work your way to God. It's now about knowing me in a relationship. And Paul became really the leader of this group after putting them in prison. And the Bible says he breathed out murderous threats against them. He then became one of their leaders. And in his eyes, he would say, I was the least of all. I'm the lowest of the low because I have come from a place of absolute hatred towards his people. And that's a bit of the context. That's the story that I wanted to share with you guys. I'm not going to share any more about what happened later on. Kids, if you want to, go home and ask, ask your parents, say, can we read Acts chapter 9 together? Well, let them tell you the story. Maybe one of them can pretend to be the horse or pretend to be Jesus in the shining light. Um, it's great to read the Bible together as a family. So go ask your parents. And if, and if they're learning too, that's totally fine. Learn together. It's all part of the fun. So that's as much of the story I'm going to tell now. What I want to introduce, I want to introduce a friend of mine, Lee. Where are you, Lee? Gone. So I want to introduce you to Lee. Can you just give him a round of applause as he comes up? So Lee and I actually went to high school together. We've known each other for over a decade now. And Lee's got an amazing story of things that God has done in his life and how God called him. And we're going to hear a little bit of that, that now. But I would encourage you to get to know Lee and his wife, Tash. Where's Tash? Tash and Marnie. This is Marnie, Lee's daughter. Get to know them. Um, it's, it makes me so happy because they've come back from the Hawks Bay recently and have joined our community and they're, they're enjoying being part of us. And we're just learning so much from them and about their story. So feel free to um, ask these guys later. Tell them more about your story. I've made it in the same way. Yeah, Firstly, I just want to say I'm happy I came just to be able to share with you guys this morning. Um, and I know they can be kind of cliche and out the best. But I honestly feel those ways. Um, my wife, Tasha, and my brother, Mano, and I, we joined here about four or five months ago. And one thing that we've always enjoyed, and in fact, like Nat said, I've known, I've known, known for about a decade now. And one thing that I've always enjoyed, because I visited at the time at Paramount School, to college, and obviously here at Hatsuka, and then now recently with my family. And one thing that we've always appreciated is your openness, your openness, and your genuineness. You see, you can't get genuineness by the way you don't. And you guys have that a lot, and it's one thing that's very attractive for us. It's something that's quite refreshing for where we are in our journey in our space, and especially this type of, I guess you could say, this type of Christianity that I've experienced and come from as well. It's, you guys are very important, and don't take for granted what you guys carry or walk in, not just for the way that you guys welcome my family, but just anybody that comes in, in our space. It's very refreshing, it's very important, and that's why I feel so honored because there's, there's so many things I'm learning from you guys, like indirectly behind the scenes. I'm a bit of an observer sometimes, quite analytical and critical, which is cool. But I, I, 
I'm learning so much indirectly that I almost feel like, man, who am I to come and share and, and I don't offer even a little bit to learn or for you guys to learn for me? So I feel happy in that sense. I feel very foolish to go out here, a little bit nervous, but just honored to have the opportunity to share with you guys this morning. So I wanted to say thank you first before I share. Just say thank you for who you are. We're excited for what God's doing here, but we love more the way that you guys love Jesus. Like it's very simple yet it's so ferocious. It's real passionate kind of love, but it's very calm, collected, and there's no hype in it. It's very real. It's very genuine. It's very sincere, and I love that. I really appreciate it. It's we we feel very right being here. It's very fitting for this time, and we just appreciate the way that you guys really love Jesus, the way you guys go for God to do. So we're happy to be a part of your journey and share with you and be a part of that. So yeah, thank you very much. So as Nat had shared a bit about the Apostle Paul, for the first 20 years of my life, I never heard of the dude. I never heard anything remotely related to his story. Any knowledge of the Apostle Paul, I had none. It wasn't until at the age of 20 I became a Christian that I began to read the Bible, read the book of Acts, and obviously read Paul's story. I remember reading the story for the first time, and I was like, dude, this, I, I relate to this guy. This, this dude, I felt like I was looking in the mirror. Especially the part around Damascus, that whole bright light, unexpected, one-on-one account of Jesus, I had that. And for a while, I didn't understand it, and there were a whole lot of other people who didn't understand it either. But this dude did, and so I felt like, man, this is my brother, I want to talk to this guy one day, because he kind of, he gets me, and I get him. And so I related on that, on, on that part of Damascus, but also the misconceptions around God. So if there's two things that I related, there was one, the misconceptions, and two, the Damascus experience. So my, for the first 20 years of my life, my view of God was simply this. When things were going good, I mean, I was doing good, and so God was rewarding me for it. Like I was earning my blessings, or I was earning opportunity, achievement, favor, whatever it was there. But if anything bad happened to me, if anything wrong happened to me, that was my fault. Like that, I was the issue there, I was the cause for that. And so this was God's anger, frustration, punishment, and judgment towards me for something that I'd done other than or in the past. And so, when you have an idea of God that when it's good, He's good to you, when you're bad, you're bad, or if anything bad happens, it's your fault. And then you have a life where you're constantly just experiencing hurt after hurt, pain after pain, just loss after loss. You can kind of get an idea of where that would take one's mindset or way of life. So there was a period of those first 20 years where my family and I, we experienced just deep pain, deep struggle, and I just mean that kind of off. Struggling today, like intense struggle, so much injustice, loss, just deep hurt and pain. And so, when you already feel like anything bad happens to you, it's God's anger and dislike for you, and then you experience a whole heap of it, that only feeds that kind of misconception, if you like. And within that, yeah, I got a bit resentful and frustrated and angry at whoever this God or Jesus God was, if such existed. But more than that, I got really, I felt really insignificant. Like my life, my life genuinely felt uh, nothing. Like I was very worthless. And if there was one kryptonite in my life, if there was one nemesis that I battled with, it was insecurity. I struggled with it terribly, massively. And I probably still have doubts of it even now today, but that was more so the trouble I had. So you had this idea that God doesn't like you. You can have this hit after hit of life negativity that feeds that. And then on top of that, you get this insecurity. And so all of that became so unbearable that at the age of 19, I was literally two seconds away from taking my life. It was all it was, two seconds. Life was just too much. And we hear about suicide, you know, it's a selfish thing. But when you're in there, you honestly don't even comprehend it. It's so dark, it's so demonic that you just want out. And so that was the pain that I kind of led to all this misconception of God led me to. Quite opposite to Paul, his misconception led him to want to kill others. But for me, it led me to want to kill myself. Same pendulum, if you like. 
but the whole point is it came from a misunderstanding of who this God was. And that misconception was painted to me or exemplified or portrayed to me by other Christians that I knew growing up. I wasn't a Christian, but I knew Christians, or there were people in my extended family who were Christians. And without going into detail, I just I saw a lot of hypocrisy, I saw a lot of double standards, and I saw a lot of judgment, extreme judgment, man. Like, wow, if you're not a Christian, boy, you're like in the end of their rooms, they're kind of getting whacked every day. And, and even within Christians, like I would see Christians judging each other, and it was so comforting for me, and that just added to the misconceptions. So I related on that part, and that my misconceptions of God, like Paul had, led me to this just totally wrong understanding of who he was, so much so that I wanted to take my life. At the age of 20, I had my Damascus experience. Like Paul, unexpected, unwanted, not searching for. And it was that whole bright light, one-on-one encounter with this dude named Jesus. And it was so intense. In fact, I remember waking up the next morning, looking out my window, and I'd never seen the sky so blue. I'd never seen hills and trees so green. Everything looked alive. It felt alive. And I felt the same inside. It was so unreal, yet it was too real. And within that experience, the first thing that Jesus told me, I said, love you. Nothing was wrong with me, and there was, there was plenty wrong with me. The only thing that I needed to change, there was a lot that I could have changed at that time. And the only thing that I had to do, like I didn't have to do something first in order to get his love and to be vindicated by it, but he simply told me how much he loved me. And it was that experience of his love that deeply impacted me and moved me and changed me for the better. And ever since then, it's been my desire, my goal. I've strived to help others to know and grow in that same love for themselves because I know the contrast they put in my life. I know where it took me from and where it took me to and the way that I changed in that moment. It wasn't this progressive growth from Jesus, it was instant. And for the next few days, sorry, the next few months, the next two to three months, I would spend hours with Jesus. And that's not an exaggeration. I'm not trying to accentuate the story to make it sound cooler than what it was. That was my ordinary life at the time. I just wanted to know Jesus, which is weird for me because I didn't ask for that. Like, I didn't ask, oh God, help me to want to know you more. It just happened. And I later learned that through Ecclesiastes that to put the heart, he's put eternity in the heart of every man and his desirable nations. And so I guess for me, my Damascus experience was a removing of the darkness of the insecurity and the misconception for my spirit to be just want Jesus. And that's all I would do for hours. I would read, I would pray, I would sing. I just wanted to know Jesus. It was so simple, it was so sincere, it was so genuine. It was all I desired. And within those two to three months, I would see amazing things happen. My entire family, mum, dad, and my family, I'm the oldest of seven. Mum, dad, brother, sister, they all made a decision for Jesus. Now, they're not necessarily all walking today, but they all made a decision. All my best friends from school, anybody I did like, if they all heard of Jesus, I'd sit them down and I'd told them about this Jesus. And I think I was already invited to speak at like one youth group and two home groups at the time. They're not boasting in me, but I'm saying, I didn't desire that. I just wanted to know Jesus, but that was the result of it. Just that intimacy and long time, the mess this time, if you like, with Jesus. And it totally transformed my life and my direction of life. About three or four months after that, I wasn't at church, by the way, this time. I didn't belong to any church. I wasn't within any church. I hadn't been in any church, but I decided after that I would get involved in the local church or institution of Christianity. And I spent about three years amongst that. Within that, I experienced another misconception. And I found this misconception to be a bit more dangerous than the one I experienced outside pre-Christianity. In here, my simplicity, my sincerity, my genuineness of just wanting to know Jesus was replaced by formulas. 
So it's now about five steps to knowing Jesus, or seven ways to enter the throne, and three ways to get your prayers answered. That whole simplicity of just wanting to know Jesus, that one step, if you like, was then replaced by complexity. And it was tough, it was difficult. And in that, though, because I was young, I was ignorant in some ways and still growing, you know, and I was learning from older Christians who kind of take it on, like, you want to be the best that you can for Jesus. And I guess it came about now, now that you're in the family of Jesus, now it's about climbing the ranks and making it in there and being part of the man of God. And so that misconception then also led me to a place where I was almost validated to judge others. Like, I was allowed to judge you, I was allowed to judge others who didn't look like me or didn't look like a Christian that I was a part of. And I find that really dangerous because in that I would still say I'm free, the science is free, it's free indeed, and I'm a man of truth and righteousness. But inside I was really lost, I was hurt, and I was earning, trying to earn this way in Jesus. And I found it a lot more destructive than the one outside. I mean, the misconception outside, at least I knew where I stood, and I knew where he stood with me. But in here, I could condemn you, I could criticize you, I could judge you in the name of Jesus, in the name of love, in the name of truth and righteousness. It was totally wrong. And so I'm thankful that my Damascus experience was so powerful that I was later able to unlearn that. And I'm still unlearning it to a point. But I was able to kind of wake up from that and realize, wow, that misconception there was more like Paul. He felt validated in judging others because of his righteousness or his understanding of God. And I found that quite dangerous. A year or two later, I read a, as I'm unlearning this, I read this quote by a poet. His name is John Wolfgang Boeth, or Boeth. Anyway, he's a poet of the 1800s, and he says this, None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. And that was me in that time, in that misconception, that religious type of Christianity. That was me there, I was that... None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they're free. So I'm sharing that part for three reasons. The first one to say that that was my very real story. This is my very real experience. I'm not being judgmental or critical of Christianity out there. That was my raw experience of it. I say it also because I want to testify again that it really is all about Jesus. Like it's purely simply about knowing Jesus, nothing else. Knowing Him, that's what brings the change, you know, the invitation to it. Share it to family, the powers do that. It came from that simple place, I just want to know Jesus. No more formulas, no more five steps, just Jesus. And then I share it to remind us again that that type of misconception of both actually, they're very real even today. They exist. They're here. And so that should give us compassion, if you like. It give us an understanding of where people are so that we don't turn or get spiteful about that. But instead we understand who they are and try and navigate through that and meet them where they are and just try to lead them to that place of it's Jesus. And then I share that thirdly because this gives context to what I'm going to end on. Now what I'm going to share with you guys is a spoken word poem. I wrote this in 2010, it's called The Personal Jesus, and it's pretty much everything that I've shared plus a little more detail in poetic form. So it's a creative expression if you like, it's a mixture of poetry and rap. And I've tried to keep it as appropriate and sensible, like there's no cussing in it or whatnot, but at the same time, I didn't want to take the rawness out of it. I didn't want to take the realness out of it, the emotion, so that you guys can kind of understand that this is what I experienced and what I journeyed in my life. So I hope that makes sense to you guys. And again, I'm so grateful that I can share. But this here is my spoken word piece called Personal Jesus. It's pretty much the five-minute version of my five-hour story. So maybe one day we'll get to the five-hour bit. But this is a apologies in advance if it is a bit strong, but... I hope that you would understand that I'm working with this, so here we go. I am a man of little worth, barely beginning to understand why. I am a man of 
no direction, having no vision, having no dreams that are need of being fulfilled. I am a man without motivation, inspiration, destination, not even bothered whether or not of tomorrow will come. I am a man of confusion, delusion, full of doubt, anxiety, worry, fear, struggling to find the confidence just to fit in. A man whose life felt snatched by those around him, oppressed and distressed from the pressures of the world. Who would bother to deal with me? Who would want to see the rubbish that I carry? Yeah, I'd heard of you before your church people had said their piece. But when I saw the way these so-called Christians were living, I concluded that you were no different than every other religious beast. The brother be preaching about the love of God, he'd be acting as holy as the Pope. Next minute I see him in the club as high as a kite from smoking all of that dope. Why would I want to sign up to that life? Hypocrisy, it's a mockery, even I know that's good philosophy. So I keep myself clear of anything to do with you. No one never knew you, as Christian fakers were supposed to represent you, were enough to steer me right away from you. But then it happened, and at the most unexpected time, I wasn't searching, wasn't interested, but you, you had other plans in mind. You came. You came. Not your Christian people, not the hypocrites, not the church, but you. I beheld you. And you took me in your arms, and I got to know you for you, for you yourself. And you made me feel worthy. You made me feel valued, and you gave me peace. You know, the peace that I tried to find in drugs, clubs, and alcohol was really only a quick fix to the pain, because really it was only temporal. I saw the popularity of girls, and making money became my success. But when I had enough of that girl and paid all the bills, the questions about my life still didn't rest. I tried everything to build this void in my heart kitchen sink, pantry mat, even the shelf. But when I look back over the evidence of my life, apart from running from you, I was killing myself. You see, I got it wrong. I allowed people to dictate who you were. I decided in my mind who you were by their actions and their lifestyles and their opinions. And there are so many false perspectives about who you are. Perspectives of destruction, hatred, legalism, and abduction. Painting a picture of a God who manipulates through deception and seduction. God that's far away, distant, angry, mad. A double-minded God, worshipped by those who compromise sin and say, sin, they're bad. But you're not that at all. When I beheld you, I got a whole different perspective. I got to know the truth. And you gave me meaning to life, purpose to live, peace to my distress, and answers to my questions. And now I share this truth to the world, Lord, inviting them all to a free will decision. So excuse me as I now speak to the listeners explaining that this, this ain't religion. Religion is nothing but shame, pain, deception of the brain, restraints and its chains of rules and regulations making the temptations and expectations of life so much harder. And I'm looking for another religious injection which is more of an infection where putting man as God is the real religion. Religion is destroying humanity, it's tearing this world to pieces. Religion was never God's idea. The truth is, religion crucified Jesus. And 
Now I'm not saying join a church or give me your money. You'd be a fool to listen to me and my money. But what I am saying is read the Gospels, check out Jesus, and see if he's real for yourself. I'm not talking about going to church or being a good person or accepting a fancy life tip. I'm talking about you and God, one-on-one, because this is relationship. A relationship with a God who actually loves you and cares for life's needs. A God who wants to know you for you and not just for your deeds. So I say to you, listeners, you are free and welcome to come. Your creator, loving, saving, is waiting for you.